right. Thank you, Lee. And uh, Lee, did you get Matt for the last prayer? Okay, Lee, you 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 get a pass. So <laughs> next week, uh, yeah, you get a rain check. So is it? Uh, thank you, Lee, for setting that up. I um. Well, I appreciate Joel uh, covering the history class uh, that he did for the last two months. And by the way, I have, I was passing these out, I have this um, chart that he brought in about the organization of Revelation. So, uh, that, and, and you're welcome to these. I've given them to some of you. Some people were thinking this is their diploma. That means they graduated from his class. So... We love our certificates. We're glad to share that with you. I can't promise you you'll get such uh, with me and 1 Corinthians. So um, we're just going to take a look there. We're going to get started. I, um, I'm going to do, usually I have slides. I do not want to use slides for this series. Um, if you enjoy the slides, you enjoy the pictures, and you regret that, then you teach the class. Uh, <laughs> or you can make slides. You can make slides for me, and uh, I'll use them one way or another. We, will, uh, we can put pictures of stuff up there. No, but the reason I want to do that is because um, I, I've been recently, I've been reading 1 Corinthians. I've been looking through it, and I've realized that um, I think the last time I taught this as a, as a class, as a series, now I've taught sections of first corinthians over the years uh for quite a while i can't remember the last time i've actually done it uh and, and somebody may go online you may find out where i did it around here and that just tells you how much of an impact it made um 1995 was all i could come up with in my records and um i've been a I, I'll, I'll be honest i've been avoiding first corinthians because you know, it's all great there at the beginning about all that unity stuff, and then you start getting back there in the back, and he starts meddling with the way we do church and worship, and you know, and everybody's got an opinion about that. So, uh, I, but I, I want to set this up so that we have a way to read First Corinthians as we get started, um, as we go along. But I just I want to study this book, and I hope you'll join me in the study, and we'll see what we can learn together. And I appreciate your input and your feedback. Um, First thing to know about 1 Corinthians is you are reading somebody else's mail. You are reading a correspondence between people. Um, something interesting that, that I discovered um, oh, a few years ago. When we purchased this house over here uh, for the campus center, there is in the storage in that house a box full of letters, and we can tell that the owner of that house or somebody uh, connected with the owner of that house previously was sending correspondence from, I think, from the era of, the, of World War II. And, uh, and, of course, I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to read that, even though no one who sent those letters may still be alive because I still feel like that's, that's personal, that's private. Uh, when you make a discovery like that, you know that you're reading, even though it's, it's written. And now, you know, there's still this idea that everything out there is public. We've got WikiLeaks and we've got uh, everything else. But still, there's something private about this, 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 a personal letter. And if you find a personal letter from someone to someone, um, 
The, uh, I also discovered uh, some of my wife's personal letters the other day when I was uh, cleaning out, and uh, I can read those. I got full right to read those, so I did. And actually, there was one that she wrote, her and her father, and it was just the sweetest thing I ever read. And I said, that's, uh, that's a wonderful thing. It was encouraging. Before we think that 1 Corinthians is just part of our Bible, or it's church law, or it's, you know, the code, we have to remember this is a letter between people. And if we read it as such, maybe we'll get more of a sense of how to hear. Now, the grace of God is, is that we've been allowed to listen in on this conversation. Because as private as this correspondence is between Paul and this congregation, the church saves this, it gets copied, it gets distributed. So there's a sense in which it is good for everyone, but it begins its life as a message bound for individuals. Now, the other reason I tell you that is not only so we know what it represents, but also to explain to you how uh, a little bit about the challenge of reading uh, material like this. Um, for instance, I want to read you a letter. This is a letter from, um, well, this is just a letter. This is a letter not to you. This is a letter to somewhere, someone else. And so I want you to hear what it says, and you can wonder what it's about. My dear friend, it was good to see you last week at our favorite meeting place. I will definitely let you order for me next time. Since it may be a while before we can see each other or even talk, I wanted to leave you some things to think about. First of all, I very much agree with you about your plans for the future. Our families will understand. If not, then they will learn to accept it in time, and I think that in time, it'll just be natural. Secondly, I wish you would not get so worked up about the financial and political consequences. Instead of worrying about the money, do what I've asked about from the start. I think you will soon agree that this is the best solution. And as for the other matters we spoke about, well, we have no control over that. Finally, as to your list, you're right, the best movies never win awards. No, I would ask someone that important to be involved in this. No, we should plan on six months from now rather than three. And finally, it would take three months just to make the preparations for the trip. And, and yes, green is my favorite color. Now, if you ever get discouraged, just think about what I told you last time we met up. And if you, don't need, to, or, and if you need to call me, don't call me. Until next time, your best friend. Now, I've read you a letter, and you can tell there's a narrative there, and there's a history there. And you came away with that with how many details about the situation? Not much. A lot of blanks had to be filled in. You don't know who these people are. And that letter is intentionally meant to illustrate this, how non And yet, you were still able to figure out, okay, there's a relationship here. There's some kind of planning going on. I mean, you filled in some blanks, and some of those were safe bets. Obviously, there's something in mind here. It's three to six months away in the future. People are going to have to understand it. It has something to do with politics and finances, maybe or at least part of it does. We don't know what's meant by green being the favorite color. Is that an allusion to money? Well, I don't know. But see, this is what we do with Corinthians. We read stuff into it. We're going to have to just accept the fact that there's some things that well, we, we just don't know. And then there's some things that I think we can figure out pretty well. Um, you're going to see that in, in, cor in, in with the correspondence with the Corinthians because you have all sorts of things talked about. Uh, and some of those things seem very 
very familiar to us. You've got people at odds with one another. You've got factions. You've got the possibility of the church splitting up. I mean, you've got tension there. You have popularity contests between leaders. We can understand. We can relate to some of these things. But then again, they have things that you and I don't relate to very well. People going down to worship idols at the local gathering hall. Uh, the women praying and prophesying, and they're not covering their heads seems to be the real problem. Uh, and then this baptism for the dead, what's that all about? I had someone ask me that last week, and, uh, well, anyway, they, uh, I, I just, you know, I just said, you know, that, that, that's, like the, that's like the comment about green. You just don't know what the background is. But let's do our best to understand this. So I want to give you a little bit of background, and, I wanna, and, and one of the best things to do is to understand Who's being written to? We're pretty familiar with Paul, but we need to also allow Paul not just to be the same old, bland, simple, you know, standard Paul that we make him into, but this is Paul as he relates to the Corinthians. He has a real relationship with them. He loves them and he cares about them. In fact, he's going to announce who he is, and you're going to, and if you ever look at Paul's letters, he's always going to give you a sense of how he relates to these people or how he needs to be known or how he wants to be known to the people that he's writing to with his opening phrases in the letter. So if you take a look at 1 Corinthians 1, 1, he says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. That's not throwaway language. The fact that he's called by the will of God to do something is important. He wants to be known that way. Of all of the things that he could emphasize, he wants to be known that way. You know, I, 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 do, I do this sometimes, I'm going to admit. I'm not above it. You know, most of the time, I don't want anything to do with titles. I've got, you know, there's titles that I can use. There's degrees that I've earned, all that. I don't want anything to do with it. But sometimes, if I have to look fancy, I'll tack Dr. Chris Benjamin on that name on that letter. Just because I want someone to know, hey, this isn't just some yahoo. I mean, you know, okay, he earned a degree. Wow. You know, I mean, we all do that. We all do things like that. Sometimes you stick letters on the front or the end of your name. Now, as a rule, generally, I'm going to tell you, I don't care anything about that myself. In fact, I'm Benjamin. That's all. That's how I've been known as. And it's still, when we went to Guatemala, this, uh, we had four Chris's. And other, three of them had B as their final initial. So, you know, we got to the point that somebody would say Chris, and we'd say, which one? Chris B, that's not good enough. And uh, so I said, let's go back to how I used to be known. I'm Benjamin, okay? Let's do it. So, and, then we, and then by the end of the week, we all got our own titles, names that we started calling each other. Paul wants them to know that he has been called by the will of God, and he is addressing them as the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be, there's the calling again, called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So he's defining the relationship. I'm called by God to be an apostle, a messenger of Christ Jesus. He's not his own messenger. He's a messenger. He's, a, he's, a, he's an official. He is someone who's been sent with a message from and by Christ Jesus. And he's calling those who've been sanctified in Christ Jesus. And, and by the way, I think that sometimes we miss the point that uh, 
you know, we read Romans, and a lot of the commentators and a lot of teachers will emphasize the point that, and I think we get a lot of this from Martin Luther, that Romans is about justification. Justification by faith. Justification. Well, the other part of justification is sanctification. And it's, it's unfortunate that 1 Corinthians isn't known as the sanctification letter. Because he'll, he'll say a lot about sanctification as we go along. He'll talk about those of us who are being saved. He'll talk about this process of being changed. He'll talk about how we're being changed in this world, but then we're going to be changed in the resurrection. Sanctification is the process of being made holy. Justification is the process of being made right. And so I think we need to pay attention to both those processes. But he wants them to know who he is and who they are. So here is a message for a specific hurting church. And this message, though, is specific, and it's one of the most specific messages that we have. I mean, he is directly dealing with some personal problems in that church. You compare it to a letter like Romans, where it seems pretty obvious that Paul doesn't even know who the Romans are. I mean, he knows of them. He knows, he, he knows who they are, but he doesn't have the same relationship with them. For example, um, in, in Corinthians... He'll name the fact that he is, he's one of their founders. He planted the church. He planted the seed. He laid the foundation. He was there at the beginning. He was there at the start with them. That's how close of a relationship he has. So who are these people according to history? Well, Corinth, and this is one of those places that I'd love to visit. I know some of you have, and I, I would love to see this. And yet, I'm learning more and more about it just from uh, study every day. There's the old city of Corinth, and it's ancient. It goes way back. And in the year 400 B.C., just to give you some sense of what Corinth is like, Corinth has a, has a population, this is 400 years before Christ, has a population of around 90,000. That's, that's huge, even by our standards. That's a, that's a, that's a sizable city. But by uh, the year 146 B.C., it's destroyed. It's dismantled by the Romans. Now, they rebuild it 44 years before Christ, and it becomes a Roman colony. And so now you have really what is New Corinth. They don't call it that. I'm calling it that. You have New Corinth, which is this, this town that's being rebuilt on the remnants of an old city that has... So you've got all this... Old history, but you have all this new development. And just so that I can make it relate to me, that's how I see Fayetteville. People say, well, where did you grow up? And I say, I grew up in Fayetteville. But not the Fayetteville that's up there right now. No, I grew up in a Fayetteville that doesn't exist because it's not there anymore. It's gone. It's all been changed. I remember when Bentonville was apple orchards and car dealerships. You know. So it's all very different. Well, that's the way someone from Corinth might have been around 44 B.C., although the, 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 you know, we're talking about 400 years. I mean, 400 years ago, there wasn't even a United States of America. So you're talking about a big gap of time here. But 100 years before, approximately 100 years before Paul writes this letter, you have this re-energizing of Corinth, and it's, be, it's a boom town, and you've got people moving in there. It's a Roman colony, and one of the advantages of this city is that people who were once slaves, but now they've been set free, can move to Corinth, and they don't have any baggage. They can come in, and they can start fresh. And not only that, 
because it's a Roman colony, Corinth has some rules that allows people who were once, I mean, think about it. These are people who were once owned by other people. These are people who once had to serve another people. They had no rights, but now they do. And in Corinth, they can be city leaders. They can, they, can, uh, they can contribute to the construction of this city. All of a sudden, they've gone, like the old song says, they've gone from rags to riches. They've gone from nothing to something. So they have an identity in this town, and they're finding that identity. And so Corinth starts to attract this really diverse population, and the things that, that define them are not necessarily their background, but it's the fact that they have a new opportunity in Corinth. So you know they're going to own that city in some very important ways. Not just owning the bricks and mortars, but they're going to own the spirit of that city. And you've got Greeks, and you've got Romans, and you've got Jews. And those are about your three largest groups uh, in that world, in that area of the world. Three different cultures that are mixing it up together there. So there's a lot of diversity. And there's a lot of economic diversity. You have people who are poor. You have people who are very wealthy. We read in Romans of a fellow named Erastus who's connected with the church. We have from archaeology an inscription mentioning this man Erastus. He was a city builder. He built parts. He was a big funder of the city. He, he's somebody who contributed to the construction of it. So you've got this wide diversity of people there. Now in Acts 18, we read that Paul comes and visits uh, Corinth. And, and along the way, he meets Aquila and Priscilla. Now, what's happening historically is Aquila and Priscilla have to leave Rome because there's, there's prejudice in Rome. There are, uh, the, the, the Roman emperor wants all the Jewish people out of Rome, so they have to go somewhere else to do business. Why not go to the boom town of Corinth? Why not go there? And that's where Aquila and Priscilla end up. And so they happen to be in the same tent-making trade as Paul, and so they decide to do business there. Now, some of what makes Corinth Corinth is the fact that it's a port city. A port city is going to have everything you can imagine because people who've been out on sea are going to show up. They're going to want to be on land. They're going to want to have fun. They're going to want to have, they're going to want to worship because they better get right with the gods if they're going to go back out there on the ocean because they, you know, they don't know what's waiting for them out there. So Corinth caters to everything you could ever want. From the spiritual to the physical, from the divine to the profane, Corinth has it all. This is the city that Paul finds himself in, and uh, just like Athens, it would have been full of idols. Uh, I believe that um, Corinth had a large statue to Athena, the goddess of wisdom. But that's just just the largest statue there. You're going to find all kinds of statues. There's going to be all kinds of diversity and the thing is, we often think of the big Mount Olympus gods. Well, you're going to have Zeus, you're going to have Athena, you know, you're going to have Apollo. Yeah, those are those. They're the biggies. But you've got all these other little things. And if you've ever been on one of these trips to that part of the world, some of those idols and some of those depictions are nearly pornographic. Uh, no wonder Paul is disturbed by some of these idols when he goes to Athens. And Corinth is probably going to match that. There's going to be things there that, that uh, to his uh, Jewish background, is going to be just shameful. All of this, then, is in Corinth. So here Paul arrives, uh, and we've got a pretty good date on this, uh, of our timeline for Paul. 
his visit to Corinth, we can fix it. And uh, I want to go over to Acts 18. Um, yeah, here we go. Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, that's the emperor, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. He's in the synagogue, and yet he's still... He's working with the Jews, but he's also working with the Greeks, and, and that's pretty much a basket term for all the, the, the non-Jews. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was, Paul was occupied uh, with the Word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments, and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I'm with you. And no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people." And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Look at that. We already know some things about Corinth now. We know the names of people like Crispus, Titus Justus. They're going to be part of this Corinthian community. Crispus and his household. That might be one of the places where the church meets. Verse 12, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia. Ah, now we can fix a date. Because we can go and we can look at other historical records, and guess what? Gallio was proconsul of Achaia between 51 and 52 A.D. So now we know. We have a time frame. We're, we're pretty confident about that. When he was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews, the ones in Corinth, made an attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law, but when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about your words and names and your own law, you see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. Gallio would make a good Texan, okay? I'm telling you, because here's a, back in 1997 at Lake Jackson, our charter ran out. We had this charter, which are all these, you know, Every church has got this kind of stuff. We got it here, bylaws, things that you, you know, it just allows you to, it's kind of like your, 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 your business badge or something like that allows you. I, none of that is necessary. That's not the Lord's church. That's just stuff we do to, you know, to operate in the world that we live in. Well, anyway, we had one of those, but it ran out and it expired. And, and the state of Texas told us, they said, here, we need to know one thing. We need to know just one thing. <clears throat> if you guys cease to exist, what happens to all the stuff that you own? Oh, Okay. So we went and we looked and we had to write that. And, and then everybody said, well, we need to rewrite the charter. We need to redo this. We need to re-expand it. It expired. We need and they're like, no, no, no. Texas just wants to know what to do with our stuff if we cease to be. Well, no, I don't know. We need to give them all this stuff. Finally, someone told us, they said, listen, Texas could care less. They just want to know what to do with your stuff if you cease to be. See, that's why I say Galileo would make a good Texan. 
All he cares about is, he's like, look, you know, if it's crime or something like that. But as far as this religious matter between you, y'all settle that. In fact, I was telling somebody today, they said, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to do a wedding. How do, how do we do that in, in our churches? I said, oh, well, you get a letter, you go down to the courthouse, and you get registered, and then you get a little book number, and you get a page number, and then you can do weddings, okay? And uh, I said, now, in Texas, it wouldn't matter. You, they don't care. You know, you're getting married. You have to get the license, but then you get whoever you want to marry you. You know, and if you want to get a bus driver to marry you, you know, because you think he's the captain of a ship, go ahead, you know, get him to do it. They don't care. They're not fooling around. Here's Gallio, and he says, you know what? I'm not going to get involved in your little matters. And Gallio's an important fella. And he is there in, in, in Corinth. And, you know, and some people look at Gallio and they think, oh, well, Gallio should have stepped in. No, he's saying, you know what? We don't have time for this. It, it may actually indicate something to us about the the situation in Corinth that there's probably so much of this that goes on that he doesn't want to get involved in these little religious disputes. But this is Corinth, and this makes it difficult for Paul to stick around. So around 51 or 52, this church that Paul has built a relationship with for a year and a half is on its own, and he has to leave. Um... Now we have the history between Paul and this church. Uh, here's how I've recreated it, and I'm still, I'm still working on this, but it, it would go something like this. And this is a, this is a study I, I started back in 1992, and I want to see if this still holds water. First, let's assume that Paul arrives in Corinth. The church gets started. You've read the account in Acts 18. He stays there for a year and a half. And then, because of what happens, uh, and, and he goes before Gallio, around 51, 52, he leaves for Syria, and he goes to Ephesus. And now from there, he had to write a letter. But this letter is not, probably not, 1 Corinthians. There is a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians that we don't have. You can look at 1 Corinthians 5, 9, and we'll talk about that when we get there in future weeks. But Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians his previous letter. And that's all we know to call it, the previous letter. You can call it 0 Corinthians or, you know, or, or, uh, or it's the real 1 Corinthians or pre-Corinthians. I don't know. You can call it whatever you want. But he mentions a previous letter. We're not sure what that is. And here's the thing. We don't need to be anxious about trying to find out what it is. He mentions what it's about. One of the things we know, and again, it's like that correspondence where we don't have all the, the pieces. He mentions that this letter caused them some distress or some kind of misunderstanding. Well, what, what seems to have happened is, is that he wrote them not to associate with immoral persons. That sounds like good advice. But they take his message too far. He tells them that they should not be uh, associating with immoral persons. Why? Because that's not good for you. That's going to that's gonna lead you into their sort of practices. But instead, they become exclusivist. Some of them may be even divorcing their, their, their husbands and their wives, saying that they're immoral. Oh, no, he goes, that's, that's not what I was trying to tell you. I wasn't telling you. You're taking it too far. And this is what prompts him writing 1 Corinthians. Also, though, we know that there's a visit by a group of people that he calls Chloe's people. We have another name. And this is one of the things I love about Corinth. 
We know the names of people there. We've already got Crispus. There's Erastus. Titus Justus lives in the town. And now we've got Chloe. Who's Chloe? Well, she's got a household. She may be one of these wealthy entrepreneurs in Corinth. Then again, maybe she's lived there her whole life. Who knows? But one thing about Chloe is she seems to have some measure of wisdom. I'm willing to see that because she's smart enough and she's sharp enough, and Paul will even uh, you know, commend her, that she sends people from her household to go tell Paul that there's some problems in Corinth. So Paul is going to receive two sources of information after he writes that first letter, the previous letter. He's going to get a visit from Chloe's people, and then he's going to get an official letter from a delegation of people, uh, including a fellow named Stephanatus, uh, and uh, and so in that letter, they're going to detail specific questions that he, they want Paul to address. And then Chloe's people are going to give him a report of the tensions and the division that's going on there. So Paul has all this information. Uh, there are some continuing problems. There's problems of sexual immorality. There's problems of division. Timothy then goes with Paul's letter. Now this is 1 Corinthians. And he's sent to remind them about what Paul teaches them how they ought to live in Christ, about being sanctified. Now, Paul says that he's intending to visit, but word had reached him that his letter, 1 Corinthians, had troubled the church, and so they became critical of Paul and his companions. Now, we get this from 2 Corinthians. So Paul decided it was best to head to Macedonia instead of Corinth, and he starts out uh, 2 Corinthians explaining why he delayed his visit to them and uh, eventually when he received news that the church had uh, reached some repentance that they had um, uh, that they had there'd been some reconciliation he felt comfortable enough to prepare for a new visit but there were those who were still irritated that Paul did not keep his original plans Uh, and then he's also involved in raising a collection for uh, for churches and uh, and he's going to go to second he's going to go to Corinth on this other visit because of that. Now we we like to believe that Paul made that that renewed visit. Seems that he did. Um, Luke's account in Acts twenty only says that Paul went to Greece. So it's a it's a speculation. He either made it to Corinth or he didn't. But that'll give us enough to start with First Corinthians. Uh, and, and understand then that what we're, what we're dealing with here now is a church that's facing a lot of division. There are some, this is a hurting church. So Paul's message is aimed at a church that needs its spiritual mentor. It needs a doctor. It needs someone to bring a healing word. Uh, he starts out in, in four, uh, verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 1 with the thanksgiving. This would be standard for a letter. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree 
and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. But is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, except Crispus, remember him, and Gaius, another name. So that no one of you may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize the household of Stephanus, but beyond that I don't remember if I baptized anyone or not. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now that right there shows you where Paul's getting some of his information and how this is happening, that he's heard the report from Chloe's people, now he's sharing it with them. There are divisions. People are paying a lot of attention to who their their spiritual leader is. And Paul is backing away from all that, and he's taking himself out of the contest. He says He's he's saying, this is not about me. And isn't it interesting what he says? Uh, Christ did not send me to baptize. I think we ought to be serious about baptizing people. I think we ought to be serious about evangelism. And I don't mean to make light of that. But sometimes when, you know, baptism is like the notches on a belt. I remember the preachers that I used to know, and they'd, you know, they, they, could, they could rattle off their baptisms, you know. I baptize this many. I baptize this many. Okay. One's great. <laughs> Ten thousand's great. But we're not headhunters. I mean, we're not, we're not going out there to, uh, you know, to, to rack up wins. This, uh, this isn't a sportsman's gallery. Paul described himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle is a messenger. He went to share the message. He figured that if people heard the message and understood it, they would respond in baptism. But Paul is also, and again, here's where we need to read, this is a message from Paul to this particular church. Why would he emphasize that? Is it because Paul doesn't think baptism is important? No. You read Romans, he thinks baptism is very important. He says that connects you with Jesus Christ. But you would understand that he has to de-emphasize it in this context to say who I baptized and how many of you I baptized is not what's significant because I was not baptizing you in my name. I was baptizing you in the name of Jesus Christ. That's his point. And he wants them to understand that. And by the way, if that applies to him, that it's also going to apply to Peter, to Cephas, and it's also going to apply to Apollos. So he's steering them in in a new direction. Uh, one other thing I want to show you as we wrap up here is if you skip all the way to the end of um, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse uh, 17. 16, 17. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they've made up for your absence. They've refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Um, he mentions that the household of Stephanus, those were some of the first converts in Achaia, and they've devoted themselves to the service of the saints. It's very reasonable to believe that these three who visited Paul and, and, and uh, are bringing him some sort of encouragement, a, a, we would call it support, a donation, 
That, you know, it's encouragement to him because it means he gets to, you know, he gets to eat. He gets taken care of. But they've come. He says they make up for your absence. He goes, at least I can see them. And it's very likely, too, that they are the messengers of the letter. Because when we get to chapter 7, verse 1, he says, now let's talk about the matters about which you wrote me. Ah, so there's a letter from Corinth that's going to Paul. Paul goes to Corinth because of, um, uh, he, he goes to Corinth and he works in the synagogues, Acts 18. He meets a Priscilla and Aquila there. Little church grows. He, he moves out of the synagogue. He moves in. He gathers these Gentile believers. Crispus is there. We read from 1 Corinthians, you've got a fellow named uh, Stephanus and his household. They're growing for about 18 months and then he has to leave. He hears bad reports. He sends a letter to them or he sends a letter to them just to encourage them. And then the next thing you know, he hears about conflicts. Chloe's people come to see him. Uh, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus come to visit him. He gets a letter. He's getting uh, word-of-mouth reports. And now he writes 1 Corinthians and sends it back to them and says there's some things we've got to talk about. That's the context that we're moving into. We'll pick up then in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 1. We're going to cover the first four chapters, by the way, and I encourage you to read. These first four chapters deal with the uh, divisions that are going on in Corinth and unity in Christ, and he's laying out some of his big points in these four chapters that he's going to come back to. There's one other thing I'd want you to know about Corinthians, and this is, the, this is what I love about this letter. has all these little things that he talks about, all these... Um, uh, issues right you know there's issues about marriage issues about worship issues about what foods you can eat you know, oh just all kinds of issues boy we love issues they did too he starts off the letter and, and you can take a look at it right there in chapter one verse 18 for the word of the cross is folly it's foolishness to those who are perishing but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He starts off with the gospel, the word of the cross. In chapter 15, he ends up with the gospel, the message of the death, the burial, the resurrection. Bookends. That gospel message is the bookend. And wouldn't you know it, but as he comes along issue to issue to issue, he goes back and he connects each one of those to the gospel and seems to say, hmm, I think the gospel answers that. And he won't deal. In fact, he's doing kind of what Gallio does, but in reverse. He says, you know, you're worried about all these little problems here. Gallio said, if it was a matter of law, I'd be willing to step in. But it just, it has to do with your internal stuff. So I'll let you handle it. Paul says, you know what? You can worry about all this stuff about, you know, where you're going and what you're doing and how you're doing worship and whether or not they wear this and wear that and who does. He goes, let's go back to the gospel and let's ask how important this is in the light of the gospel and let's see what the gospel tells us we ought to do to get through this. And you watch what Paul will do. We're going to track with that. That's what I get out of the best thing I get out of the Corinthian letter is Paul will answer everything via the gospel. He won't just come up with his own ruling. He won't just come up with something that keeps the peace. He'll say, hmm, you know, yeah, I guess you could do A or B. Although the gospel seems to suggest, and I love the way he does it, I think that's why this book is applicable to us. The issues might be personal to them. It might be different, but the gospel remains the same. Uh, tonight, we've prepared communion for anybody who wants to partake of it. It's in room 100. 
Let's stand. Let's sing this song. If you need to do that, you can go there. And then Matt will dismiss us in prayer after this song.